Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. As we continue to study the covenants, we're going to look into the Mosaic Covenant. This, of course, was the covenant that God made with Moses and thusly with the nation of Israel. The Mosaic Covenant was a covenant that was made between God and the nation or the family of Israel. It's called the Mosaic Covenant because it was given through Moses, but it wasn't actually a covenant made specifically to Moses. It was made to the whole family or nation. It's often looked at as a set of rules and laws. It's often perceived to be a works-based covenant, but yet no other covenant ever given by God was to be such. So that I really don't believe that God just all of a sudden decided to do something different with Moses. But rather, I believe that it was a love-based covenant. That the rules were more like wedding vows. And the commandments were meant to be instruction in righteousness, as was often stated by David and King Solomon. That their purpose was meant to teach the people what love and faithfulness was supposed to look like. For example, the Ten Commandments. When God gave those Ten Commandments, it was more like wedding vows. If you look at what they were, the first few were instructing them in how to rightly love God, and then the last ones were telling them how to rightly love the family of God. Understanding that they were coming out of Egypt, which was very selfish and adulterous, it was very pagan and even demonic because it says in the New Testament that when the Gentiles sacrificed to their idols, they were actually sacrificing to demons. So it was a demonic, selfish, destructive, prideful, rebellious, and adulterous culture. So as God took them out of it into the wilderness and began to strip them of it, he also began to try to instruct them in how to be selfless faithful, holy, and loving. The very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is nothing less than a wedding vow. I will love the Lord thy God with all my heart, and I will put no other God before him. The second one, I will not make a graven image, so I'm going to love God with everything I have, and I'm going to divorce every other lover, and I'm not going to even keep any images of them. In other words, I'm going to get rid of my ex and his pictures with him. Understand that when God saved them out of Egypt, they were slaves and servants to it, but he came and took them as a bridegroom does to his bride from that father's house. He took them out of the house of bondage and he didn't steal them. He took them with blessing. That's why Moses waited through all of the plagues of Egypt until Pharaoh allowed them to go. And just like a bride does when she leaves her father's house, they even left with a dowry. They were blessed by Egypt, by the house of Egypt with gold and silver and all that they needed for their journey. Then God led them out into the wilderness for a courtship. It even says in the book of Jeremiah about how God espoused them. In other words, he became engaged to them when he took them out of Egypt and they followed him through the wilderness like a bride. All the way to Mount Sinai, which was their wedding ceremony. It's where the nation of Israel were meant to become married to God so that they would be under his protection and provision, that they would forsake every other God and be set apart, holy, unto him. 
That's what being holy means. It needs to be set apart like a bride is to her husband, that she is committed to him, that she'll follow him wherever he goes. She'll live with him. She'll abide. She'll stay by his side. She'll be faithful. She'll serve and be a helpmate to him. She will forsake every other lover and not seek after the attention of another. Sinai was where they made the commitment to divorce all the gods of Egypt. It's where they came into agreement with the terms of the covenant. The Mosaic covenant was not about law. It was about love. It was a marriage covenant. Every person, when they stand at the altar to be married, they make a commitment and they agree, these are the things that we're going to do and these are the things we will not do from this day forward to prove our commitment to one another. The vows or the ordinances of the covenant. That's what the Ten Commandments were to the children of Israel. And even later when the law was given, it was really only a set of consequences and warnings of what will happen if you leave the blessing and protection of your spiritual husband to become adulterous with the cruel lovers of the pagan and demonic cultures that they were entering in. Again, it was not about works or rules. It was about faith in the love of your spiritual husband and the consequences of putting your trust in another one. It was about loving him who is the opposite of Egypt and the world system. In James chapter 4 verse 4 it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. It was about commitment. The list was simply given to show us what that looks like because that they had no demonstration of it, nor would we, until Jesus, because no man until him was able to fully keep the law completely and show us what it truly looks like to obey God entirely. But until then, the law was given to give us a target to aim for. And the sacrificial system was given to provide a ritualistic cleansing for those times that they missed it. Remember that the word sin means failure in the Hebrew. A failure to keep the terms of the covenant. Paul said this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, and reaching forward unto those things which are before me, that I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is what the law was really given for in the sacrificial system. It was the mark that they were to aim for. It was a word explaining to them what commitment, love, and devotion to the Lord was supposed to look like. Of course, through time, the focus got off of God and faith in Him. And from pursuing obedience out of a loving relationship with Him and got placed more on the rituals and the rules themselves which was never meant to be. This is why David said so plainly that God delighted not in sacrifices or else he would give it, but that the sacrifices of God or a broken and contrite heart, it was about the commitment. But they ended up switching it 
kind of like cooking a special and elaborate meal for your husband because you love him and therefore desire to please him to thinking that you're just simply amazing because you cooked something and did these works and put on this performance all the while your heart was on what others thought of you for it and not towards your husband but rather that your husband and all of your neighbors should think highly of you for it. Now, of course, this was not the case with everyone, but it did become a problem that still to this day skews people's view of this covenant. So, if this covenant was between God and the nation or family of Israel, then as Christians, we might ask, does it apply to us? Because most would say no, but I would say that if he's your king, then yes, it does. If we are hidden in Christ, who is an Israelite, then it does. Only that he fulfilled much of it already for us. Nevertheless, too many aspects of it still give us a clear mirror of what it looks like to love and serve him in obedience. In fact, the New Testament tells us that the law is perfect for converting the sinner unto repentance. Because that a person has to first see their wickedness, their failure to love God the way that he deserves to be, for them to even see the need to come in humility before Jesus and ask him to be their king, to forgive them of their sins and shortcomings, and to give them the grace to walk in the fullness of what he has for us. So there is a lot of importance for the Christian to be found in understanding the covenant of Moses. So let us look more closely at it. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, where God said, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you up on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. And in this, I definitely want to point out what I have in every covenant until now, that it always began with God speaking something out and then man being given a choice to put his faith in it. Will you believe what he said? Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So they agreed to the terms of the covenant. They said, I do. But they said it as a nation, as an entire people not just as one individual. Now Jesus, who is an Israelite and also the king of this nation, grafts us in and fulfills this by making us kings and priests and giving us this same commission after his resurrection. Remember, God said, I will make you a peculiar treasure in all the earth. He would make them a nation of priests with a purpose. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 where we can read another part of this covenant, God said, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee 
forth these 40 years in the wilderness. This was right before they entered into the promise to humble thee and to prove thee, which is test to know what was in your heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and then fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. He was trying to teach them not to follow the leading of the lust of their flesh, but of the words of the Holy Spirit. They were learning how to seek him, hear, and trust what he spoke to them. He was teaching them how to be dependent on him and not on the world system. For the things that they truly needed. He was teaching them how to be a good bride in their courtship in the wilderness before they went into covenant and entered in to the promise. He continues to remind them of his faithfulness as a husband, as a provider, as a protector. He says, remember how I fed you in the wilderness and led you in the wilderness. Remember how your raiment waxed not old on thee. Their clothes didn't wear out. He provided for them. Neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man corrects his son, so the Lord thy God has corrected thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. He's telling them that the times that I corrected you, it was for your own maturing because that I had something for you and I was preparing you to possess it. For this land that thy God bring thee into is a good land. It's a land full of brooks and water, fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and of honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass when thou hast eaten and are full then thou shalt bless the lord thy god for the good of the land which he hath given thee yet beware that thou forget not the lord thy god in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and in his statutes which i command thee this day lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied that then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage see some might look at this passage as a list of rules and commandments but I look at it as the plea of a husband saying remember how I saved you from your cruel master remember what I went through to get him to agree to let you come away with me, to release that dowry. Remember how I brought you through the wilderness and taught you that you could trust me, depend on me. I made a place for us to commune daily. How you came into the tabernacle and visited with me. Remember how we talked and made all these plans for the place that I would bring us into. And now that we're here and I've given you much land, provision, herd, silver, and gold, food with plenty, orchards and pastures, and all that you needed. I've protected and provided and given provision. Don't get distracted by it and forget about me. 
Don't get so caught up with your social gatherings that you forget your husband. Don't get so busy with your career that you forget the one who really loves you. Remember the lessons of the wilderness. Remember our courtship. Don't forget. Because, my friend, when you begin to stray away from your protector and your provider, it won't be good for you in the end. So again, I don't see these things as a list of blessings and cursings. I see them as the pleading of a spiritual husband saying, I want to give good things to you, but if you walk away from me, there'll be consequences. Not because he desires to bring hardship, but because there's an enemy in the land who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and you don't understand how dangerous it is. The wilderness was to prepare them, because like all covenants, it's a partnership. And there's a purpose for it. The wilderness was to prepare them for their part in the covenant. To be priest of God, teaching of who he was to the inhabitants of the promised land and to the known world of the time from this position at the crossroads of the major civilizations of the day. To be set apart, but not separated. To be different, but not distant. To be an influence, but not to be influenced. He would bless and prosper them to do this as long as they did not get distracted by the blessings and forget about him and began to become more and more like the people, culture, and religions that they were called to be a demonstration against. Instead of converting the world, they would end up being the ones who were converted because that they forsook the lessons of the wilderness, that place of intimacy and dependency where they learned to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit daily. Every lesson of the wilderness was meant to teach them this, the manna that they received daily, but they couldn't collect it days in advance because they would have filled their bags up and gone out and done things their own way, chose their own direction. They had to follow his leading and he released to them just enough every day to keep coming back to his presence because it was about fellowship and communion, just like in the garden. That's what he created us for. That's the point of covenant. He wants to work with us, but he has purpose. He has a plan. He has a destination and he's walking towards it. We've got to follow him because when we start trusting in our flesh and walking in our own direction, we will walk right out of the path of destiny, out of provision, and out of his protection. The way is straight and very narrow. And the only way to stay on it is to remember him, to come daily in communion and fellowship and listen for the voice of our good shepherd, our spiritual husband. When Israel stopped doing this because they got distracted by the blessings of the promise, those blessings turned to curses. He continues in verse 15. Remember that I led you through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. Remember me that brought forth water out of the rock of flint. He did that which was too hard for them to accomplish. Flint was known at the time as being a very hard rock. Remember who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, that he will do that which is good for you at your latter end. 
so that you would not say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see, God was telling them that he had great things planned for them. And he wanted to make sure that they understood when it happened that they didn't do it by their own will, strength, or intellect, but that he himself had provided it. He says, but that thou should remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, for the purpose that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto your fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be that if thou shalt at all forget the Lord thy God, and began to walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish." Just like the nations that the Lord destroyed before your faces, so shall ye be destroyed, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. God never desires to bring judgment, but there is a penalty for wickedness. The wages of sin is death. And if we choose to make ourselves the servant of sin, whoever we serve is our master. And in the end, there is a place for him. And those who follow him. So in actuality, we are already damned from the very beginning because of our disobedience in the garden. But God was continually making a way of escape from it. Even marrying us in the wilderness to rescue us out of that house of bondage. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, we get a more detailed list of the blessings and cursings that God mentions I do recommend that you read them because that they are a great source of wisdom. Understand that a cursing is not something that God is intentionally doing just to hurt you, but it is actually the consequences of us trusting in our own decisions. God gives us what is right, the right way, the righteousness of trusting what he has to say. It's humbling ourselves and coming to terms with the reality that he has greater wisdom than us and we cannot trust the knowledge that is offered to us out of pride and arrogance from the serpent, the father of lies who is always speaking these things in our ears and trying to lead us into a path that will only end in destruction in the end. God, in his mercy and love, gives us wisdom. He tells us, do things like this, and it will turn out good for you. You will be blessed. However, if you do the opposite, then by default, you will be cursed. Not because he wants you to be hurt, but because that will be the consequences, the outcome of walking in that decision. For example, through the story of Eli, the priest who would not correct his children, the Bible says that we must correct our children or they will be ruined and that there will be destruction brought to the family even unto the fourth and fifth generation. Eli didn't obey the word of the Lord God Almighty. He thought he knew better so that his children ended up in so much rebellion and wickedness that they died. And for four or five generations, this thing kept replaying until they lost the priesthood in the fifth. God didn't make that happen, but he did warn him that these are the consequences of your decision. If you are not obedient to what I'm telling you because I'm trying to show you the way of escape 
from it. God said that there is a way of escape from every temptation, that he does not allow things to come on us that are more than we can handle, but we do have to humble ourselves and seek him for that way. And we have to trust what it is he has to say when he tells us this is the way. Walk therein that you might live and be blessed, my friend. It's always been about learning to trust or have faith in the words of God and follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. Do you really believe that his wisdom is greater than yours? Do you believe that he loves you and really has the best in store for you? That he really has your good at heart? Trust what he has to say and you will be blessed. This is what was being demonstrated through the covenant of Moses. Not a list of rules and commandments that men might be able to say that they had obeyed with arrogance. He was teaching them and all men through the ages, just like he did with them in the wilderness, to follow his leading and instruction because of your faith in him, in his wisdom, in his righteousness, in his goodness, and in his love for us. We're not going to read all of it, but I recommend you do. But in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, he mentions some things that will bring cursings. These things particularly are upon individuals. For example, it says things like, Cursed is any man who makes a graven image or a statue and sets it in a place of worship to give attention to it and adoration and worship. This was never something that God was okay with. This was something that was done by the pagans of the day, and he did not want them to adopt this culture. It says that, a man would be cursed if he would steal his neighbor's landmark. In other words, work deceitfully to steal lands and territories. It says, cursed is the man who is paid to shed innocent blood. These things were curses upon individuals. Of course, now if the nation as a whole became okay with it and endorsed it or incorporated it as an act of the nation, then the whole nation would be cursed by it. For example, abortion would fall under this because that people are paid for the shedding of innocent blood. This was something that according to God brought a curse. And he warned them that as his people and nation, they could not partake of this if they wanted to maintain his blessings and presence with them. In chapter 28, he said, And it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I have commanded thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And again, I want to point out that Israel was the church and that now because of the adoption of Jesus that we are adopted into the family, that I do believe these same blessings and cursings do apply to the church of Jesus Christ. That if the church as a whole will abstain from the things that God said to stay away from, then he will bless them. But if they don't, then they heap upon themselves a cursing and a removal of his presence from them so that they fall prey to the enemies around them because most of the time that's what the cursing amounted to. They chose to be in agreement with the enemy so he stepped back and let them be reminded of what it's like to serve that other lover, that cruel enemy, to be reminded of what it is to serve in the house of bondage again. But he says that if you walk in these wisdoms, then all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee. He said, blessed shall be the fruit of your fields, of your ground, of your body, of your animals. There would be increase in every form. 
Blessed shall be thy basket in the store. The Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee, only to be smitten before thy face. They shall come up against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. This is interesting that God does not prevent the weapon from forming, but he does cause it to not prosper when it forms so that you know that the deliverance was of the Lord. The Lord shall command blessings upon thy storehouses. This is finances and food and materials and provision and in all that thou settest thy hands to do. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God hath given you. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord God Almighty, and they shall be afraid of thee, and the Lord shall make thee plenteous in good, and the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasures, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the works of thy hands. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and shalt not borrow. This in the physical means that he would send the rains when they were necessary, because in Egypt they depended on the flow of the Nile. But in the land of Israel, in the promised land, there were no mighty rivers to water the land. They had to pray and continue to have a close relationship with God that he would send the rains, the former and the latter. But this to the church, I think, also applies that when we obey the voice of the Lord God Almighty, then he sends the rain spiritually and we see mighty outpourings and blessings and increase and growing in the body of Christ. But whenever we begin to stray, those rains begin to go away. He says that we will be the lender and not the borrower, that we will be the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord God Almighty, which I command thee this day to observe them. Now again, remember that these commandments in chapter 28 are not to individuals, but to the nation. So that we can say that even if some individuals within the nation were being disobedient, as long as the nation as a whole was obedient, then they would all be blessed. However, in verse 15, he starts to warn of the curses. And so we could say the opposite, that even if some among the nation were being obedient, if the nation as a whole were not, then these curses would come upon the whole congregation of Israel. And again, I say that the church of Jesus Christ would fall under the same category because that when the church as a whole starts to not obey the leading, the teachings and the words of Jesus, these curses come upon them, even if there is a remnant among it that are still obeying what he spoke to them. He says in 15, But it shall come to pass that if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord God Almighty to observe all of the commandments and statutes which I command thee to do, that all of these curses shall come upon thee. And then basically he repeats everything that was given as a blessing, but says that it would be cursed instead. That there would be vexation, that their funds would be devoured and destroyed, that they would be attacked by many nations. You can read through it for a more detailed description. I suggest that you do, that they would become a nation of borrowers instead of lenders. And this applies still to this day to the nation of Israel and also, I believe, to any Christian nation. Since through Jesus, we are all brought into the kingship that we can all partake of these blessings if we are obedient. But rarely men are. He says there will be violence in the street. He says there will be enemies that rise up against to overtake these territories. He said they will go into captivity to strangers and to the wicked that rise up in the land. He says that they would be overrun by people who spoke languages that they did not understand. 
that their blessing and increase their flocks and their finances would be taken from them and given to people who did not work for it. That there would be distress in the cities and in the towns and in the gates. That the judgments would be perverted. That that which was once seen as good would be counted as evil and that that which was evil would be counted as good. That they would fall to plagues and sicknesses and pestilences. That there would be distresses in the weather and in the earth. The rains would fail them. There would be famine in the land. All of these curses come upon them because that they stopped obeying the words of God. Not because he hates them, but because it is the consequences of their own decision. When they left their spiritual husband, they left his protection, blessing, and provision. And they began to follow another. My friend, if you believe the Bible, you've got to come to terms with the reality that we are dealing with spiritual powers and principalities. And when you are not married to God, you are married to one of them. And when you are serving a cruel master, you will get a cruel outcome. I think that the most basic and most recognizable ordinances of the Mosaic Covenant would be the Ten Commandments, and it's a good place for us to start. Though we don't have time to read through all of the curses and blessings, I would like to at least point out these ten and how they apply to us. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, he said, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of that house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Remember that this was like a wedding vow between God and the nation of Israel. And the first thing that they must commit is that he is their spiritual husband. They can have no other lover, no other provider, no other God before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or in the earth beneath. Again, get rid of your exes and have no pictures of them. Thou shalt not bow down to them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When you take somebody's name, what are you doing? You are marrying them. We shall not take his name in vain. We shall not portray ourselves to be married to God, but still act as though we are single and adulterous, or we bring shame upon his name and we hurt his heart in the process. We defame him in all of the nations where we are supposed to represent and love him as a faithful bride does to her husband. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Make sure you rightly represent him. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Every covenant thus far had a token or a sign of it. Remember the rainbow to Noah or the circumcision to Abraham. This was the sign or the token of the Mosaic covenant that they would take a day to sit and spend time with him. They'd have a date with God. They'd have fellowship. They'd have communion. No matter what they were doing, the whole nation was to shut down. They were to stop working. They were to stop giving their attention to the blessings, to the provision, to all of those things that he had given them. And they were to refocus their heart on him. They were to remember him as he had asked them. 
We as heirs through Christ Jesus do still continue to do this, though we do not set aside just a day. The New Testament tells us that our Sabbath is found in Christ because that we have daily communion with him, that he has restored our fellowship and we can sit and have time with him any day. Under this covenant, they had built a tabernacle and they would have to come to where his presence was. They'd have to come and visit him. So they set aside a day to put all of their work away and come and spend that time with him and hear of him and learn of him and spend some time with family and reflect upon him. But in the New Testament, we don't have to go to the tabernacle. He comes to us. We become his temple, his tabernacle, the place of his indwelling presence. But we still have to put aside that time. We still have to lay aside all of the blessings and things that he has given to us to make sure that we fellowship and commune with him. There is a communion in the New Testament. And he said the same thing that God said to the Israelites in the wilderness. He said, remember me. He said, don't forget me. Set aside some time to sit in fellowship with me. He said, I stand at the door and knock, and if you will open it up, I will come in and sup with you, drink my blood, eat my flesh, have a time of communion. In this do we still daily honor the Sabbath. We take some time away from the blessings and provisions that he gave and rest in his presence and remember him and thank him, and daily visit with him. And in doing this, we make sure that we don't forget him. These commandments were given, remember, again, as wedding vows to show us how to love him. And then all the ones after it are to show us how to love the rest of the family because when we are married to someone we don't just marry them we marry their whole family and we don't have to learn how to just love them but we have to learn how to love the whole family so in the next section he tells us exactly what he expects this to look like from us he says honor your father and your mother he says do not kill one another do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie against your brother. Do not covet what I have given to another. Don't covet their relationships, their blessings, their material things, their land, their provision. Be content with what you have been given. Again, there is a reason he gave us these ten commandments and they are only broken when we look at them from a heart of selfishness or we try to maintain them out of obligation or arrogance rather than from a heart of love and thankfulness and as God gave them this ten commandments this covenant this vow that he was making with them from the mountain of God, it says, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpets and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed themselves and stood afar off. They ran away from it. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak unto us, lest we die. When you look further into what was happening here, this people, they had idols that they had taken with them from Egypt that they were hiding in their tents. They still had some other spiritual relationships, some other lovers, some things they didn't want to get rid of. They didn't want to commit to him fully so that they knew that if he spoke to them directly and said, I expect this of you, and they did not 
humble to it that they would be guilty of death. So they told Moses, we don't want to talk to him. We don't, we don't want to hear, send us a man. And I think truly that in their heart, they're thinking that we can just choose to not listen what a man is speaking. But you know, God, he is so patient and loving that he actually obliged this request from them because he did send a man to speak to us. He sent Jesus. But until he came to provide the better way, there was a sacrificial system put in place to cleanse and forgive and to make atonement for them when they fail to keep this covenant when they sinned. Again, I want you to understand, my friend, that this covenant is not about law. It's about love. Remember that when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus tells us that it was the Shema. This is what was given to Moses. And it is the commandment to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the embodiment of the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Jesus even said that if you obey this, you will by default fulfill all of the law and the words of the prophets. So again, the law was given to show us how to love God and how to love his family. Romans 13 verse 10 says it so plainly. It says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It was never about the rules. The list was just to show you what love is supposed to look like through you. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, we see this so plainly as the law is being given how did we end up with such a misconception of it? It says, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. This has not changed from the beginning to the end and it is still expected of us. Remember, we needed a demonstration of what loving God looked like. They didn't have it, so he gave it to them on stone tablets until Jesus came and engraved it upon our heart when he demonstrated it with his life. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land. He wasn't telling them this to be controlling. He was telling them what was best for them. And that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed, a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land, whether thou goest in to possess it, is not like the land of Egypt from which you came out of, where thou sowest thy seed and watered it with thy foot. In other words, where you prospered by the labor of your own hand. But the land, whether you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys that drinketh water of the rain of heaven. This land God cares for, and the eyes of the Lord are always upon it. 
from the beginning of the year unto the end. And it shall come to pass that if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day to love the Lord thy God and to serve him with all of your heart and your soul, that I will give you the rain in your land in its due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn, thy wine, and thy oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed of this and answer yourself that your hearts be not deceived and turn aside to serve other gods and to worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heavens that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit lest she perish quickly from off of this good land which the Lord hath given you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. He tells them to take these things and write them and put them as a sign upon their foreheads and their hands. This is actually what the Antichrist comes to counterfeit whenever he gives his mark of the beast that you may buy, sell, or trade. If you have it, he will be your provider and your protector. My friend, if you trust him to be your spiritual husband, you will be greatly disappointed in the end because he will not cover for you or your sin like my Jesus did. He's going to be judged and you'll be judged with him. But if you trust in the Lord God Almighty to be your provider, your protection, and your provision, it says that no man shall be able to stand before you. My friend, the summary of all of the conditions, ordinances, and lists in the Mosaic Covenant comes down to this. You are blessed if God is your husband, your covering, your protector, and your provider. And you are cursed if he is not because you chose another lover. Don't worship another. Don't forget him or give another your attention. Don't walk away from his blessing, protection, and provision. Remember the lessons of the wilderness. Be dependent on him because he will come through for you in impossible ways. Don't put your trust in the things of Egypt or the world system because it never ends well. For those who do this. And my friend, as we come to an end of this study, I want you to remember this, that the New Testament makes it very clear to us that being married to Jesus is more than saying, I do. Jesus said that it's abiding. In other words, you have to live with him too. Just as the Sabbath or the Sabbath was the symbol or the token of the Mosaic covenant, so is our version of it. For our covenant with Jesus, make sure you stop working, laboring, striving, and idolizing the blessings to set aside some time with your spiritual husband. We are the bride of Christ, and we should treat him as such. Remember that the Israelites in the wilderness, when God proposed to them, and he provides this covenant, and he gives them this list of wedding vows to show them what it looks like to love them, they asked for a man instead. So Jesus comes and demonstrates it. His life is the words of the law made flesh so that we can finally see what it really looks like to love God and man with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
and the light shineth in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. They did not understand that he was that man. God has been faithful from the beginning to the end. The one who keeps covenant unto a thousand generations. Don't forget him. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.